Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. Hello and welcome to the Ganymede and Titan Dwarf Cast commentary for Series 2, Episode 5, Queeg. Uh, I'm Ian Simons and joining me to discuss this particular episode are Danny Stevenson, Hello. John Hall, Hello there. and from the official Red Dwarf fan club, Joanna Sharples. Hello. Uh, yeah, sync up your DVD or Netflix or whatever you cool kids use these days to watch Red Dwarf and uh, start pressing play at the end of the beeps. Pips. There ain't no place in the whole of cyberspace. www.ganymede.tv Yay, Red Dwarf. Dramatic 2001 type music. Queeg is apparently, according to those who took part in our civil survey, the sixth best episode of Red Dwarf. Sixth? Yes. Sixth? The uh, second highest in series two, behind Thanks for the Memory, which is the fifth best episode. Ooh. But yeah, I'd say that's fair enough. It's I definitely a, a top ten episode that. for me. Yeah. Easily, easily top ten episode. It's kind of weird, because Thanks for the Memory, I think of, like, in terms of the, the cleverness of the plot and everything, is, I would say, is stronger, but the, it's more character-based, is Queek. Yeah. And it's more about Rimmer and stuff, and his relationships and stuff, but Queek is very much a Holly... And that's very different. Yeah. We had a, had a Holly episode. Even White Hole, uh, which is the nearest equivalent for Hattie's version of Holly, to, is the yeah. closest she's got to having a whole episode around her. Yeah. She's um, switched off for a good 15 minutes. Yeah. It's not really about her. She's a suspect. I, I do think of the third Holly episode as um, uh, Fathers and Sons, though. <laughs> even though, well, it's, even though it's not no, Holly. I, I, totally, I totally get but, what you mean by that. Yeah. Oh, these lovely things. This must have taken so long <laughs> to do. Actually, I don't know that. how they did. No, the... I don't know. The... <laughs> I don't know how, how they did that in 1988. It looks like sort of chucking loads of things at it and seeing what works and what combinations of things work. So they've got the sort of static effect over his face. Yeah, all I can think is the they... fact that he's moving around. They've got the fact that he sort of warps and stuff. I've got the other thing I can think of is that the camera was looking at a TV and physically moving in three D space to kind of catch the image, and then they just <clears throat> crushed all of the black out of it so they could put other stuff behind it. It looks too smooth for that though. That's the yeah, way. yeah. It looks like an electronic version of that, but that probably would have been the technique if they yeah. had done it, you know, twenty years prior to that. Because the weird thing is, is that Holly is pixelated in series one, and then he's got analog interference on series two. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, going backwards. That makes a lot of sense, actually. <laughs> well, there's the whole thing about Holly of how he actually works as a character because he's an interface for a computer. There's thousands of screens around Red Dwarf. Are they all showing the same consciousness? Now, the books indicate that he's having different conversations on each yeah. of those screens. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's Because they're all they're talking in different things at different screens. Yeah. So it's the same personality but it's there's multiple versions of it running concurrently yeah, yeah. i i think whereas that... from from the series and certainly after the accident when there's only four people on the ship or three people on the ship holly isn't holly just in an attendance to alongside power so wait, yeah. he used to be multi-threaded and yeah. they went single threaded yeah. as yeah. soon as because that suits that's the... all that's needed at yeah the moment. there's a 
Save on power. Yeah. I was going to say, that I just want to mention something, because it's, it's only in this episode I've ever noticed, but if you watch the scuds, just before a shot goes away, um, he gets interfered by taxi frequencies, and you start seeing him actually have a bit of a fit. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, oh, I can't remember where it is now, I'm going to have to watch it, but, but it is just towards the end of a... I've always found that um, that handheld shot of the board really weird. Yeah, like, it doesn't like. Why would it be handheld? They've obviously just got in there and shoved it in, but actually, it doesn't. Shouldn't it really makes be handheld. It feel like a cutaway because it probably is. It was probably done as a pickup at the end. Yeah, mm. yeah. Because otherwise, you'd have to have a cameraman in there for the whole time. It's like Rumi of Lost, and it has to show that. Yeah, it's the... Oh look, it's a vibrator joke. <laughs> yeah, not really something I got as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably for the best. It made no sense though. It wasn't. I didn't have. A, I didn't have an alternate idea in my head. I just yeah. didn't get the joke. <laughs> if this was series eight, of course, it'd end with Craig Charles shouting, "It's a dildo, Rimmer." <laughs> Ollie's looking very tanned, isn't he? <clears throat> uh, Rimmer could not possibly not be chess set. He's a hologram, and therefore can't touch things. <laughs> it was a. Uh... <laughs> Computer generated oh, chess. It's a 3D holographic chess set, yeah. of course, yeah. That Holly manipulated to make it move realistically. None of the pieces fell off, I noticed. <laughs> That's the first uh, damage report machine's been damaged yeah. time that joke comes up, but not the last. It's a running thread, but it's like it's always a couple of years apart. <laughs> kind of like they've forgotten that they've already done that one. By like the way, a Game um, of Thrones type helper who tells yeah. them when something's happened and he can like a <laughs> go to guy is like, no, you've used that joke. The uh, the line that you're about as much use as a condom machine in the Vatican is my favourite simile joke mm. in the whole of Red Dwarf. Yeah, it's perfect <laughs> and it's short. Very it's short. very yeah. short. It's not some big of... long extended thing where you've lost the thread or or that the comedy is in the extended metaphor. It's yeah. just. See, look at that. That's a really interesting thing. They bothered to show the join of the head of the the, the legs being missing off the top of the screen. Rather they didn't have to having, bother with that. They could have just had the camera a little bit past, lower. Yeah. yeah. So lot. It's those little bits of effort, and then you even in like you mentioned in Better Than Life as well, the um, handkerchief being yeah. comped on. What really annoys me about that stuttering bit is the camera's moving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like, it just it didn't need to. It's just a few frames away from being perfect. Yeah. This is the thing they tried to fix in the remastered by trying to have it more obvious that it was a bit glitched. Yeah, but in doing so, they overlaid so many effects over the performance that you lost a lot. Of lost the it was yeah. technically it was very good actually. Re- rarely yeah. for remastered, Again, it nice just idea. it didn't suit the comedy. Yeah. They, they never seem to get that right. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was plenty of things that could have been that you look at them and say, yeah, fair enough to improve that, and yep. they did it badly. And every time they did something well, it was just gilded <laughs> and then using using Chris to good effect. Yeah, we <laughs> never see the set again. Am I correct? And uh, you see it in it's in um, Thanks for the Memory. It's also not in this state. But oh, is it? Thanks for the memory. Oh, it's yes. Where, uh, Lister patches in to give him the memory of Lisa. Uh, of course. And then destroyed in this episode, and then you never see it again. <laughs> um, this has, I mean, the um, the actual stunt with uh, with with Lister getting electrocuted flying over is one of the best stunts the show ever did, yeah. and it's in its first year. Yeah. On the supposedly, the series where. 
It's like that we've talked before about how in Confidence Paranoid they do the big sequence on the outside of the ship really well. And every so often the series just seems to just go to town yeah. on a sequence in the early days. And this is one of those scenes where they've just they've just gone mental. Look at that. That's great. It's fantastic. Such a good and with the old tube cameras as well in BBC Manchester where you get the the light light yes. are we are we presuming that was done well a it was done by craig wasn't it but yeah, is yeah. he is he do we has he leapt onto a trampoline yes, and we just a, kept cut, a cutting a trampoline yeah. and then there's a match so, so yeah. if we saw the shot starting early we would see him running up to the trampoline but we yeah, just because yeah. yeah. it doesn't i mean it's it doesn't feel like that's obviously how they did it but it doesn't it's done so well yeah yeah, yeah. it's a good you don't question it really because you just think he's just been blown up yeah yeah, it's not until years later where you come to analyse. I just noticed that if obviously if um, if Rimmer is doing uh, a cat impression, that means that the cat's been backed up as a hologram. Yeah, I do like the line. Or it's made from Rimmer's memories of the cat. Oh, that's interesting. I do like the uh, phrase "not in for a single meal." <laughs> <laughs> Out of the Charles Logan is brilliant. <laughs> Is. I put Quig uh, as the best ever uh, Red Dwarf guest character when I did High and Low. It's fair enough. Yeah. <clears throat> and everyone who disagrees is wrong. I was in conversation with someone who designed all the background graphics. Can you see that? Um, oh, yeah. Uh, that, that one where all the numbers are flashing up. And mm. I, I was talking to him and he said, oh, I, I still have the programs that created that somewhere. And I was talking to him and I was trying to get it and then he went silent and then I found out on a forum that he died. Mm, yeah. And I'm sorry, I do a lot of things for Ganymede and Titan including tracking down Hilary Kingsley and asking her about the Brown Dwarf review. However, I'm not going to go to a grieving man's family <laughs> and ask for... An Atari ST. Atari discs. That he... No, I wasn't... It wasn't worth pursuing that, shall we say. Self, 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 self. <laughs> But I kind of wish I had. Yeah. And well, it's too no, late we've, now. We've already remade them. There's no need to. <laughs> <laughs> There's a real sense to Lister's reply here, isn't there? That the, that you what has a lot of emotional heft. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a big, massive. That was a genuine kind of kick in the gut for Lister yeah. at that point. It's just really? like, and, are you joking? And you've done it in two words, and yeah. you didn't need to build a whole plot around it or have a whole scene around it. Just two words say it all. It's just a little reminder that Lister needs to have a purpose in his life. Mm. So that purpose is getting back to Earth. And if he feels that he's making progress on that, then he can cope with how terrible the situation is. Mm. Yeah. And if that's taken away from him, he's got nothing left. Yeah. But so, even now, yeah. he's he still sort of forgives Holly, even though, you know, there's still yeah, annoyed about Lucy to Holly. Yeah. That ship shot's always one of my favourite. So, how long does it last then? Between now and now, like that's only been—is it literally like the next like an hour later? And this is what? Oh, is this more? Oh, is this weeks? Yeah. Because then lifts are fixed and all this stuff. Well, I mean, it all depends. How seriously and literally do we take April, May, June, July, and August full? That's <laughs> that's the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And is it is it no, is it literal right. or is it not? Is it? A, 
Is it like a grand So it started thing? off as an April Fool's joke, but got out of hand and he was like, I can't let this go now. So this happens over the course of five months. <laughs> I actually, I, I really like that it was that Holly yeah. fucked them over for five yeah. months. I think that's that funny. That's brilliant. That's like the ultimate joke. It was just like five month April Fool joke. Oh, yeah. And I think, I th- because Holly's not got anything else to do. I think, <laughs> I think he'd do the long game. Well, yeah, he's already done, he did the Norweb thing when he was bored. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's like um, Groundhog Day is actually horrific because the oh, amount yeah. of time that he spends in that time loop is hundreds of Could years. Could be 250 years yeah. or whatever. And that makes the whole thing just add an extra level of tragedy to what's up there and, and bleakness. Yeah. And so if they've had this horrible regime and a queen for five months... Like, Holly thinks this is hilarious, <laughs> but no one else understands how funny this is. <laughs> I mean, actually, that would be quite a scene, wouldn't it? The the crew's reactions to Holly the next day. Yeah. Because presumably they all storm out at the end of the episode. Yeah. Now, how long is it before normality is resolved? Is it another five months before they'll talk to Holly again? Because they just remember all the terrible things that they went through. <laughs> and it's like what um, Crichton did in Duck Soup. Yeah. Crichton made them go through this whole ordeal and nearly jeopardise their lives and Starbuck could have crashed into a sun or whatever it was. For the sake of... For the sake of point. Now there is the argument that if Rimmer's been brought back to uh, help keep Lister sane, is Holly also doing that by keeping Lister busy and active? Yeah, Mm. like this is part of his grand plan, like sort of psychologically. Yeah. Just keeping interesting things happen in the world. Because that's kept them going for nearly a year. If it's five months of the joke (laughs) and then five months of sulking... That's nearly a year he's kept and, insane. And so, once that five months was over, Holly was like, shit, right, that's run its course now. Uh, I'll have to invent some sort of dimension hopping machine to <laughs> give him something else to do. You've just mentioned Grand Dog Day. I was genuinely expecting uh, Sonny and Cher to fucking play to The thing is, if you take that to its logical extension, once Holly's run out of ideas as a man, he then becomes a woman yeah. to satisfy Lister's uh, needs. needs and desires. Well, that is the plot part of the plot of Back in the Red, isn't it? That um, re- Holly was re- responsible for the nanobots bringing back the crew as something yeah. yes. to do to keep him sane. They yeah. explicitly mentioned it. That Another point. thing, yeah. And so that could be applied. There could be this whole reading of Red Dwarf that it's about Holly's attempts to keep Lister sane and everything that happens is engineered by him. Oh, <laughs> uh, oh that not There's a brain. thesis... There's a thesis to be written. Oh my god, that's that's that, that's insane. But <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime, you could just look at Chris doing enforced. <laughs> now they, it's interesting because they didn't really do this again, did they? What control Rimmer? Controlling Rimmer. It happens a bit in series one. Yeah. With um, Peterson's arm and things like that. Do you know what this is? This is exactly what. This is about um, whether a hologram is controlled by the central computer or yeah. controlled by his own personal sense of self. Yeah. And once it's controlled by his own personal sense of self, his own light be, you can't do these gags yeah. anymore. Yeah. The hologram is an employee of the ship. Yeah. Mm. And so the ship can control it. Oh. And I suppose they move away from that. As yeah. soon as they start needing to give the crew more personal jeopardy, yeah, it doesn't really thing. work anymore. Or at least not in the same way. You see how high up the catch trousers were? 
Simon oh, Cowell of space. Spit me with Gary Glitter of space. <laughs> Craig Charles confesses. <laughs> right, just to explain that that is a reference to a Smegazine cover, we are not making any accusations <laughs> at this sensitive time. You made him jog unconscious. <laughs> you know, every time I watch this, I kind of forget at this point that it's an April Fool. I just think yeah. of Queeg as Queeg. I don't think of Queeg as Holly. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, a yeah. well-written, well-rounded character. Yeah. yeah. He lives in his own right. Really. Yeah. There is more that could have been done with him. Mm. And there's no greater episode that proves that Holly... If you, I mean, you know, the way you look at Holly is, is, is he an intelligent computer or is he really got an IQ of, you know, mm. whatever. And this is the episode that indicates that actually Holly is very, very clever. Holly knows what he's doing. And he knows what he's doing. Mm. And then they kind of can't really decide. Yeah. Well, maybe like the inter- the Holly interface, the the face that looks like Norman Lovett and has that voice, mm. that is now thick. <laughs> that, is, that aspect of Holly, the the AI, mm. has got a reduced IQ. That avatar, yeah, yeah, the avatar has reduced IQ, but the computer itself is still fully functional. It yeah. still has those capabilities. That I think it moves more towards just Holly is broken later on, especially like White Hole mm. banging the head on the screen. Yeah, that's weird. But then that's the Iron Storm. Yeah, we think. Re- yeah. In, in ideally, a post, oh. ideally, you'd have said that about two weeks later and we'd have cut that in and make it sound completely different because yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. they did in Whitehall. <laughs> There's a bicycle joke there. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't work. It's nothing new, is it? <laughs> Studio floors are usually pretty filthy yeah. <laughs> so this is probably a worthwhile thing for them to do so what do you think Rob and Doug wrote this so the crew would actually have an easier time yeah. that week <laughs> they, they probably wanted some negotiation stunts look we clean the floor for you <laughs> do you work an extra three hours I love Lister's t-shirt in this uh, this scene looks a bit like Deb Lister it does is it the uh, it's Oh, I'm trying to think of what the t-shirt was. Is it the the one about the the let's get to work thing? Oh, no, it's not. I thought it was a different thing. I thought it was, I'm thinking of a different entire thing, and I'm not making any sense. I'll shut the fuck up. That's a very unusual um, example of Rimmer doing a cat-style joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> coming in and... Doing a woofer. He ne- actually, he never does those, really, no. does he? Or very rarely. The um, stasis booth is masquerading as an airlock. He's still in the <laughs> wide shot. This is in the stasis stasis booth corridor, and they've put a bit of red tape around it and a label saying airlock. See, I just think it's one of those things where they just the ship was such a cookie cutter. Yeah, design. it makes yeah. sense in the universe. All the corridors would look the same. It's like a hotel. Yeah, every corridor looks identical regardless of which floor you're on. It doesn't matter. Except that Red Dwarf also has. Like it maybe it has sections of where everything looks the same, and then they yeah. moved from completely different sections. Oh yeah, definitely yeah. So like series four, 
quarters have yeah. that style and aesthetic because they spent a little bit more on the officers' quarters and the technicians' yeah, quarters and in the in the in the, the bowels of the ship, for instance. I always imagine Red Dwarf as being built like a prefab building where it's just built elsewhere and then just stuck together <laughs> in space. Yeah, yeah. but multiple but different parts. And it's the same modules are used. Yeah, yeah. There'd be some different sort of standards uh, commission to make sure everything's fitted. <laughs> See, this joke is fine and everything, but. Lister asked what the square root of 2049 is. Holly could have said anything, and Lister would have gone, oh, all right then. Because yeah, he true. didn't know what the answer <laughs> yeah, is. That's <laughs> true. Am I fully restored? <laughs> See, that's, a, that's one of those numbers that never leave my brain because of this fucking programme. A number of times in my um, work, I've had to do like a quiz or something and have it end with an impossible question or have an impossible question as part of it it's always what's the square root of 2009 <laughs> I've asked that question of about 50 Big Brother housemates <laughs> but it's interesting to see how people respond to it it's one of those ones where people are surprised like is it only 45 it's like that's, that's quite small um, Craig Chris Barry's legs are very wide open there he's man spreading <laughs> Oh, uh, what was Lister trying to do? I don't that know. Just crush it with a fucking knife, but it was still hard. But why? Just to make it wider, so the surface area of P is greater. <laughs> that works. There you go. Come to Dan if you want something. <laughs> what, he could, what, what he could have done was um, told it a story about uh, the good old days back at the farm. <laughs> 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 made the pig cry <laughs> by the way do we believe that Lister would be so disgusted by his own dirty laundry because <laughs> no, I don't really uh, think he's he t- maybe he's trying I to prove a point don't think he would have eaten out of it necessarily <laughs> I don't think he's deluded <laughs> <laughs> that fucking toast looks clap cold he did eat um, waffles and cream out of the bin yeah but it was a bin, it wasn't But that's nothing clothes, compared to Lister's laundry, presumably. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, the toast looks really horrible as well. Yeah, it's yeah. clearly been made. It looks like it looks really, really cold and stale. And and There's no even butter on it's it. It's not anything. buttered. You're going to taste butter the toast. I just... Is peas on toast a thing? No. No. <laughs> that's the thing I couldn't understand. So, like, pea on toast is a the weird thing to eat. wasn't on the toast, it's pea next to toast. Pea, yeah. Pea, Peas astride. <laughs> Adjacent. <laughs> a bean on toast, maybe. A bean on toast, yeah. yeah. A bean. Where you just squeaky cat, the cat flick. Yeah. You can't flick the bean. Now, <laughs> I would suggest that this is the um, very beginnings of what became the Red Dwarf Survival Manual. <laughs> What's it called? Red Dwarf uh, Survival Manual. It's Survival Manual. <laughs> yeah. What's the Red Dwarf Survival Manual called? <laughs> <sighs> Living it up. I've never noticed that one before. And there appears to be a party invitation that he's put on his wall. Maybe it's the only party he's ever been invited to. It's probably his own. <laughs> Maybe it's his death day party. And the AJ Rimmer font there is the same as Ganymede and Titan's logo. Yeah, it is. 
Which is obviously what we were referencing. This is the correct font. It's the same font as used for the sign outside at the Prince Charles Cinema, which is where the um, premiere for Red Dwarf 10 yes. was held. So, <laughs> with this inflatable Ingrid thing, so Rimmer's been getting sloppy seconds from mm. Lister's. That's an unpleasant joke. Maybe that's why he moved on to Rachel. <laughs> he could never forgive Ingrid. <laughs> but he'd be thinking of Rachel. <laughs> Is this the first example of this particular joke that is in every single series of Red Dwarf? <laughs> I was with you all the way up to Simply. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it might be the first. Yeah. Uh, I was trying to figure out, I think, that is that, an, trying to figure out what that equipment was in front of Rimmer there. It's probably either a bit of old studio equipment or something from an aeroplane. That's, usually, <laughs> that's usually the two answers. It, look, it looks Google. broadcastish or yeah. sound... Looks yeah, like it's some kind of sound desk, desk thing. Is this how we good all singing? It? Yes, it is. Yeah. Which I didn't know for years, obviously. No. Then it's one of those standard facts you find out at some point in your life it's as a Red Dwarf theme, fan. Theme tune from High Noon, I think it's called. High Noon, yeah. But I've no idea what High Noon, I presume it's a Western. I think it's a Western. But I've not seen it or heard it. I should really have looked that up by now. Yeah. I haven't. It's basic research. That's why it's terrible. So this is five months after the incident. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, Lister is wearing a different there is, top. There is time, like, after that, uh, the peas on toast scene. Yeah. Uh, and that, there's nothing to... The next time we see either of them, Rimmer is preparing to take an exam. Maybe he's spent five months studying for an exam. <laughs> there is a gap in it. It's like, there's... Tons of, um, you know, with Doctor Who, all yeah. the uh, the big Finnish audios and all the books and everything. Yeah, I know where you place <laughs> with certain combinations of characters. The people have figured out where exactly in the episodes of Doctor Who these could possibly fit in. Like, yeah, there's five minutes here that's not accounted for. Is, is that this Tardis trip could have incorporated this? So the the five months theory. <laughs> is that, that's where the gap in the time is. Is between so the bees and this. This is ripe for fan fiction, yeah. just featuring Queeg. Yeah, yeah, and and Holly. Yeah, and Holly scuttling about in the background and not being the main one. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> New adventures of Queeg. Well, the Queeg thing's all from Mutant and the Bounty, right? That's the whole. Is that a thing? Or is uh, that not? Is that... Yeah. Yeah. This is very unusual stylistically, though, superimposed. Well, the chef. chef yeah, pieces. and close ups of holly mouths is weird. Yeah. It's strange. Ooh. <laughs> it's, it's a rare example of sort of um, artificial. I don't know, there's probably a better word for it, but a kind of. The flair of directing is as yeah. like a kind of a piece of creative directing rather than something that's designed to follow reality and mm. make you, you know, to present the most clear thing. It's an example of a sort of filmic flourish of, like, this is a montage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's but not many see, montages or anything. But you see, when I see those close-ups of the mouths, I kind of think of it as a bit like a computer game where you've jumped to a higher polygon model. Yeah. For the real close-up. <laughs> so most of the time, Holly isn't animated like that. But if you really need it for dramatic purposes. <laughs> <laughs> and that would have been Ed Boy's approach. I need to make this, 
this climactic chess match look visually interesting between two locked off <laughs> close-ups with adaptive resolution. Yeah. Oh god! And this is genuinely really affecting, and it gets me every time. It, it is. Yeah. It, it does, really it is. Did, used to bring a lump to my throat the first few times I saw it. Uh, you're thinking they could chance get the only lump you've got stand in front of your trousers. But it's oh. The, yeah, the <sighs> goodbye to love is really well done. As well. And also, yeah. this is also ruined in the remastered version with awful, generic, sappy music yeah. all over it. And it's like I don't, I can't figure out why they thought it was better. Mm. It's well, like at least with some remastered, you can figure out. Oh well, you know, I see what they were going for, but it's wrong. But this, I have no clue. Yeah, the what score, going the for. score and the model shots, are the things that really don't need replacing. They got the giddy. best things about. The, yeah, from a production point of view, about the early series of Red Dwarf, the scores and the model shots. Yeah, yeah. and those are the two biggest casualties of remastered. And, and because they're the only things they can replace. Yeah, I yeah, think they just they, they yeah, obviously it's, it's just got brilliant with the idea. From Howard, it's yeah. so it's so subtle yeah. and low down in the mix and just yeah. really nicely done. And like incredible confidence in writing as well at this early stage yeah. of Red Dwarf to do a scene that's properly emotional and funny. And yet, the gags aren't tagged on. It's it's proper pathos, mm. and crucially, earned because you've had an episode full of funny stuff. Mm. This is I don't want to get too much into this, but it's one of my problems with the early uh, Lister scene in in um, Back to Earth because mm. I don't feel it's earned. I yeah. under, don't get me wrong; I understand why people like it, but for me, you need to do the comedy before you can get to that point. Yeah. That's why I love the Queeg one so yeah, much. Yeah, it kind of changes the focus on it. And at this point, there's no two ways about it. Red Dwarf is a traditional sitcom. Yeah. Uh, it's not the, the it's not like a sort of an action-adventure thing like it became. And it's, not a, it's certainly not a comedy drama like it became. So it does everything from the perspective of a comedy. It's when Spitting Image did every bomb you make. They did it at mm. the end of the first series. Yeah. When they'd had really funny things, then you can just suddenly power in with something like that. You did just say, but you couldn't do week. it at the beginning. Wheels of the week. Oh shit! That's this entire theory thrown out the yeah, window. Oh, no, but he also says Jape of the decade. Yeah, didn't yeah. go on oh, for ten fuck. years. <laughs> I think Wheels of the week is 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 just a, a saying. But of the, yeah. of all the things I've done yeah. the, over the last five months, this is the best one of this week. <laughs> <laughs> the reveal of all the that, shitty things I've done to the crew, this is my favourite. This Today. is the week that it pays up. <laughs> this is the week that it becomes a wheeze. Oh dear. Well, not the year. It's well, a really good episode, though. I was about to say, yeah, that was quite a good episode of Red Dwarf. Really? I'd say it's probably the sixth best episode. <laughs> I mean, if, best episode. If yeah. someone told me Queeg was their favourite episode of Red Dwarf, then I would not bat I, an eyelid. Yeah. At all. Um, and I'm very critical of everyone and everything. <laughs> but it's quite obvious that season two was the, the season of pathos. Was that was the... I think I might have placed it first when I did the yeah. silver survey. I can't remember how I placed it, to be honest with you. But I, it must have been higher, because I... Yeah. I, I mean, I, I can't think of an episode I could argue was... was necessarily better, objectively. Mm. It's all about what you want from the show. Thanks memory is obviously just a really well sort of structured episode because it has it, there's so much stuff in it that's just really really good but Queeg is definitely one of them episodes that just it's so dense there's so much stuff happens in it and yeah it's it's got some really nice bits in it really nice little set pieces 
Though you say, I mean, I, I agree it's dense in some ways, but on the other hand, it's actually a very simple plot, if you just look at it in terms of plot. Not that much happens. No. You know, Lister nearly dies. Quig appears. Makes life a misery. Showdown. Yeah. But Four or five beats. You could you could actually do that in three minutes if you wanted to. Yeah. Or <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> but uh, it's the confidence of the writing, I think, and they've really they know who the characters are at this stage, yeah. two series in. Yeah. Um, the writing for the actors, uh, which is why you've got Chris Barry doing impressions of everyone. Yeah, 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 the yeah, 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 yeah. Um, they've figured out what Holly is after not knowing, you know, th- tweaking it throughout series one. They now know that Holly is funny and Norman is funny enough to sustain pathos and to sustain comedy throughout the episode on his own. And yeah, with giving a like, <coughs> it's kind of like a series of vignettes, Quig, because yeah. you've got all these little moments of them discussing what's happened off screen quite a lot of the time. It's like you don't see all of Rimmer's jog, you see snatches of it, and then you get a lot of him talking about it. You get a lot of Lister and Cat talking about what they've had to do. Lister and Rimmer come together again and talk about all the things that have happened. So it's like. Yeah, it's like it could work as a stage play almost. It could, it could. No, it's you're like right. you you shine a spotlight on on these conversations about this period in their lives, and that's why it could take place over five months if you wanted to <laughs> that theory. Yeah. But it's it, like yeah, you turn a spotlight on them for a moment, and it's just great character pieces. It's a series of five or six great character pieces in a row. It's a bit odd that kind of obviously that's not the final time Holly appears quite clearly but it it feels almost like the start of a road they never t- or they didn't go down again mm. like it feels that wow so you've got the Holly episode in series two and that was great so you should have the Holly episode in series three Holly episode in series four Holly episode yeah. in series five um, but, I think but it's really the, the last gasp almost of Norman's character and I think the uh, introduction of Crichton would have killed that stone dead I think so because yeah. it took Red Dwarf on a such a different tangent. As soon as they figured out what exactly Crichton's function was, which they kind of did by the end of series three, it then set them off on a completely different path, mm-hmm. and they never looked back. And it is really weird to to look at it now, and actually, obviously, like Holly in series two is a better written and better performed character than Crichton in series three. Yeah. So if you were watching series three. At the time, you, a lot of people presumably would have felt that was a step backwards yeah. in that respect. And they weren't to know what would come later. Yeah, and what had happened behind the scenes of Norman quitting. And, yeah. But yeah, that's definitely Norman Lovett's peak. Peak Lovett. And life, probably. But that is the best, that uh, is his best performance. I think so. He's really, really good in Queen. You can't fault him. No, not at all. I mean, he's so good in Quig that you kind of wish he'd found other things that may be more successful mm. and that had worked in the I same wish way. that they could have perhaps figured out a way of keeping Norm in it or to sort of get over that kind of thing. And Red Dwarf would have been very different if it would have carried on with Norm and Lovett. But then we wouldn't have had Hattie. And I think... yeah. It's a small price to pay to have Hattie Hayridge involved in Red Dwarf. It's it's the ultimate thought experiment is what yeah. would series three be like with Norman Lovett yeah. instead of Hattie. 
and it's it's the one I think about quite a lot, genuinely. Yeah. It crosses my mind every so often. It wouldn't have been better or worse, but it's a whole yeah, it's a whole. It would not it would not be remotely the same. No. I think. Uh, I don't think Crichton would have been. Put, I don't think Crichton would have pushed Holly out as much, and yeah. so Crichton wouldn't be as iconic as he is and as successful as he is. And I I struggle to imagine, um, Crichton and. Norman Lovett's Holly interacting particularly mm. successfully, and I don't think they really do in Nanaki. They, we when we did the um, Coventry, one of the recent commentaries we released of Epidemic and Nanaki, it was mm. we pointed out in there that yeah, it's the first time that Roberts Crichton and Norman's Holly have been on the screen together. Yeah, ever actually had any sort of actual dialogue? And so <clears> it was, <throat> it was a bit jarring. And then Series Eight is such a mess, and yeah, <laughs> and, and he so really you so rarely me. get char- yeah. groups of characters together. Yeah, it's usually it's, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, it's it's a bit like hearing um, William Hartnell use the word Time Lord in the Three Doctors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when that was never a thing and, when he yeah. was in it. And in the fiftieth, um, the um, the, imperson- the Hartnell impersonator says uh, calling calling the War Council Gallifrey. That's weird. Gallifrey wasn't named until way later. That's just old and strange. But that's Doctor Who. That's not. Really it is. I'm sorry. <laughs> so I, that's probably I... a fair indication that uh, <laughs> we should uh, enough. thank everyone for listening. Uh, and from me, Ian, Danny, John, and Joe, it's Ed by everybody. Ed by. Hey P. Remember the good old days on the farm. Remember your pod and all the little peas that you grew up with. Don't you miss them? Right, next. Hey, P, remember the good old... Nobody makes peas mushy like bachelors.